They're just gonna. Yeah, hopefully it won't last. Right, so <coughs> on the Tim Manor podcast show today, we've got my mate, client Ben Andrews. Ben, thank you for coming on, mate. Thanks for having me, Tim. Nice to see right, you. Give it's me been a while. right a little bit because obviously nobody knows about you apart from me. And yeah. Within the local community, but tell tell people basically what you do, what you're all about. Just give us a little summary. Okay, so my name is Ben Andrews. I'm 27 years old from Salford. I'm managing director of Beyond Empower, which is a community interest company to support disabled people to lead healthy, active lives. I've been working on this as a company now. Before I knew it was going to become a company for about 10 years. Um, started off, I've got a degenerative visual impairment, retinitis pigmentosa. Um, which involves the rapid deterioration of the retina. Um, for now, it affects um, peripheral vision and they have night blindness, so loads of fun in pubs and clubs and <laughs> anywhere dark. Um, it's something I share with my mum and my granddad, and that's been the sort of driving force me around um, the business that I've developed. So when I was 17, I started getting into fitness, um, got my level two gym instructor qualification, and started going along to the gym with my mum, who at this point was registered blind because it's a degenerative condition. Um, and just seeing the barriers that she was coming up against in the gym, there was no audio facility. So when she was accessing the treadmill, she was dependent on others to press the buttons. Um, there was weights left all over. Those type of really practical things. And I started to... Um, my mum had a really good network of support around her. She had me, my brother and my dad. Um, and we were able to... Alongside my mum, she was a very independent lady. She was able to navigate the gym with that support around her and really enjoyed it. And I started to think that there's got to be more people in this position who could do with keeping active but might need some support to do so. So I started volunteering around Salford, um, assessing what was available for disabled people to keep active in the mainstream. Um, so everything that I do is always working within mainstream environments. I don't believe in segregated provision. I don't believe in one... Um, establishment for disabled people and one for non-disabled people. So I was looking for mainstream provision for disabled people and found really limited opportunities. There was a lot of groups specifically for blind people or people with learning impairments or people from the deaf community, but there was nothing really taking an integrated approach. Um, so I started delivering inclusive healthy lifestyle sessions at about 17 um, for people with a variety of different impairments. 17. Yeah, 17. It's been ages now. I know, I know. <laughs> When's the first time you came in? Yeah, that was about... So I, it's got to be three or four years. Yeah, ago, it's about it? three or four years. It was, when I, it was when I started to make that transition from, yeah. actually, this is more than a project now. I feel like I've got something that we can develop as a business and we, yeah. can, we can offer out wider than the small community-based projects that we was working on in Salford, which yeah. it has done. So, so go on, from 17 you were... Yeah, so from 17, was delivering those healthy lifestyle sessions at around 18 and 19. I tried to put a report together to state a case for a um, gym instructor, it's specifically 17. for disabled people. But I'd never written a report, um, so unsurprisingly, it didn't go very far. Um, approached Salford University to see if I could tie into anything they was doing just to develop the skills, a bit of um, academic knowledge. Um, and he said I'd be ideal for a particular degree, exercise and health sciences, which wasn't specific to disabled people but would give me the skills and knowledge to go on and do what I wanted to do in a way that I wanted to do it. Um, because I always knew, sort of my argument was not that, you know, this is a nice thing to do for disabled people. It just was, you know, who's more likely to develop diabetes and a wheelchair user who sat down all the time, who's more likely to be depressed um, than someone who um, the sort of mainstream society doesn't accommodate their communication that, needs. No, so I was coming at it from a health point of view. I knew the benefits of physical activity and was saying, if we can create more environments for disabled people to be active, um, then they're more likely to lead healthy, happier lives, which is going to reduce 
demand on the likes of the NHS, like a social care services. So even though from my point of view it was more ethical, I just wanted to create more opportunities. I could see that how it could benefit other sectors, but I couldn't articulate it at the time. So I went to Salford Junior. They said I couldn't get on the course at first because I didn't have enough UCAS points. So I just said, sort of set, set me an assignment and I'll show you <laughs> that I can do it. Um, so they set me a, a question. Um, which was explaining the scientific basis of exercise. It blew me head off at the time, but I got it in as soon as I could and um, was granted access onto the degree. And then while I was on the degree, because I already had quite a sort of rigid view on where I wanted to go and what I wanted to, what I wanted to do after uni, I used my time there to research everything around disabled people. So it was a really good opportunity to do that because it was, you know, you had the some income for the grants and stuff like that and the scholarship because it was from um, Salford. And um, so it eased the pressure around chasing employment that wasn't really fulfilling for me um, and I just put the time into researching the benefits of exercise for disabled people so I did things like the psychological benefits of exercise for wheelchair users exercise versus medication its benefits for disabled populations and then my dissertation was on the feasibility of a low exercise low cost exercise model um, to benefit disabled people in, in the mainstream um, and that has led on to do the work that I do today. So after uni, I had all of this learning, submitted it to the NHS, um, who said they wanted to go you for it. That? 21, at um, left uni. So, did yeah, you see five the red tape in front of you, thinking, look, how are you going to do this? Or have you got a lot of help saying, look, Ben, you can do this? Or oh, yeah, I've had, I've had support. This? Yeah, it's, got, it's gone both ways. I've had people say, this is, you know, there's funding out there for these staff opportunities, so... Uh, NHS Salford CCG were my first dancer, if you like. They they backed it, took a bit of a risk because there was no one, there's still no one doing this type of work where it's changing uh, mainstream physical activity provision for disabled people so that there's no real need for a specialist service anymore. Um, so they supported it on a small pilot. Um, then it spread to other areas in Salford and then we've just taken our um, first step across the canal in Salford over to Trafford. So it's spreading now. We've got a model that we can just spread beyond that. And out of that works come inclusion workshops, accredited training. We have lifestyle coaches now trained up around Salford who people can be signposted to. Um, work with Sports England, so it's it's yeah, it's really and this, took off. this is a brand all based on your mum. Yeah, well, sort the of. Yeah, of yeah, yeah. The core <laughs> of it is that that there's there's um there's sort of there's a expectation or an assumption that disabled people. Only, can only integrate or um, participate in segregated things. And that's just not how we've been brought up. We've been mainstream schools. None of my mates have got... People have got the same condition as me at this age where it's not that severe and they only ever engage with um, things for visually impaired people or things for blind people. And um, while, that's, while that's fine, if, I do think it limits opportunities massively. You sort of grow up with an assumption that you're only able to do certain things or participate in um you know special educational needs schooling your in, uh, employment rates are really low um, so aside from the physical activity what we what i'm trying to do is expose non-disabled people and disabled people to disabled people just accessing things in the mainstream the same way as everyone else so what what's your end goal with this what's what's your big vision for it all the end goal is for this type of work to not exist <clears throat> so my end goal is that once physical activity provision has been made more accessible, um, the the whole point of it is to place greater ownership on mainstream agencies to work more accessible. So 
for example, we're running Power U, which works with um, a community yeah. to adjust their physical activity provision to enable disabled people to participate. So one practical example is we've done some work with Trafford Leisure recently where we have um, worked with a group of about 40 disabled people with learning impairments. And they identified a gym, the gym, as something that they'd like to participate in. So we've worked with, identified a mainstream provider of that activity. We've not looked for a, a gym for people with learning impairments. We identified Trafford Leisure, approached Trafford Leisure and said, we've got this group of people, we've got a demand of customers there, if you like, who want to access your services. Can we support you to adjust your provision to enable them to access it? So from a provider point of view, it's a no-brainer because it's more income, it's more footfall from a niche market that they're not currently engaging. So uh, they give the go-ahead. We've supported Trafford Leisure to create easy-read programs for people with learning impairments to access a gym. So you know what a gym programs look like now? It's all yeah. deadlifts, two sets, three yeah, reps. Yeah, yeah. It's you know it's not practical for someone with a learning impairment. So all our programs are easy read imagery, um, really simplified terms, and people are able to access the gym in that way. So now we've created the programs, Trafford Leisure have got a template. They can just keep regurgitating that. There's no real need for our input anymore. And that's what we do in, in each community. So that's just one example with the gym. It could be... Um, a walking group that we work with, it could be gardening, it could be any type of sports provision, uh, making the adjustments within that provision to enable disabled people to attend it. And obviously over a period of time, the provider will just take greater ownership because they're thinking we've got a market here that we're not accessing. We don't want to be reliant on Empower You uh, or Beyond Empower Forever. So why don't we just start doing it? That's And that's what is happening. So we've done work with in Salford with Salford Health Improvement Team and they've just started doing it. Um, I've just had a meeting with it before uh, with them before uh, um, some relaxed gym sessions to encourage people with autism and um, different sensory needs to attend quieter times in the gym. So they're doing that off their own back now. They're asking for a bit of support off me, but that's the type of they're the type of key little nuggets. Good, man. Like, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, really good, that. Yeah. So how do, you, how do you spread your word then? How do you, how do you get more people aware of it? What, what are you doing to get more people aware of your services? The So at the minute, what we're really focusing on, because we've got a contract with Trafford Council to work with Trafford to make their physical activity provision more accessible. We're just um, speaking with Salford Community Leisure. I mean, um, Salford, NHS Salford CCG, um, to look at how we might rerun it in Salford on a mainstream model because up to now it's been pilots so it's been here's a concept it's not really been done before we give us some funding to pilot it so we've piloted it now and it sounds like a long time three years but when you look at drug trials that take 10 20 yeah. years um it, it you know it, it's fair so we've got the model now if you like from the pilot here's the learning now we've developed a mainstream model so what I'm keen to do is solidify the models in Trafford and Salford and then once we've got two on board, because at the minute it's just, it's been sort of Salford or Trafford, they've not both been run at the same time, mm -hmm. then it will give me the capacity to go to Berra, Bolton, Newcastle, Milton Keys, wherever it might be, because a model can now just be basically dragged and dropped in whichever locality. It's, it generates a demand of disabled people for physical activity. It then works with the providers of that physical activity to make adjustments to their provision and supports the demand to access the physical activity. And then we take a step back after eight weeks and the um, provider is able to support that person because we've made the adjustments. So could, could this potentially go in anybody's gym? It, well, it's not just gym provision, so it could be... Um, it's any, So if, if it was come to Bolton, for example, and we were, was working with groups of disabled people and they said we want to start a walking group, a gym and swim session and a gardening group. 
we would source those activities in the community, mainstream providers of those, activi those activities. We'd say, we've got a demand of people, they want to access your activities, but they might need some support to do so. So we'll support you to make those adjustments and then we'll support the demand into your activity to build up their confidence and motivation in attending and establish a routine, but also supply the provider of the activity with a bit of support. After the eight to 12 weeks, people are usually at a point where they can say, we don't need you anymore. We can take a step back and then the provider just takes ownership of that group. So the provider could be what, the council? The provider could be Tim Marner. You, right. you, this is specific to physical activity, but we've we've done stuff with the infrastructure team in Salford. We're looking at accessible street design. Yeah. We've done stuff with parks and green spaces team. So the basic model is that if we identified a group of disabled people who wanted support with marketing, and we've not gone down this route yet, it's just been physical activity, yeah. but the, the concept is the same. If we identify a group of disabled people who want support with marketing, but they need some accessibility adjustments, and that's sort of the expertise we can provide, we'd approach them and say, we've got this group of people who want your support. They've asked, asked for your um, um, agency specifically. Can we work with your agency to adjust your provision so that these people can um, access it and, and it's communicated in a way that they can understand. We do that with support demand to access it. So you share your expertise and then we take a step back and then you've got a, a new client base, if you like. So that's putting it in marketing terms. Yeah, We've yeah. just done it in um, physical activity sectors, but there's no reason it can't be applied to elsewhere. The physical activity is a big thing though, isn't it? Like you yeah. just said, you know, giving somebody <coughs> that like endorphin bit of a, you know, a thing can yeah. help with depression, you know, help with self-esteem, all these kind of things. Are these the things that kind of like go through your head every day about mental health and that kind of thing? Yeah, definitely. We always have a health check at the start of the intervention at the end of it. So when we first meet a group of people or individuals, we'll do BMI, blood pressure, blood glucose, um, blood cholesterol, and four sets respiratory volume, which measures um, sort of how healthy your lungs are. Wow, what's um, that? The, how would you do that? So it looks like a bit of a breathalyzer. So it's oh. just like you, it's just a handheld spirometer, it's called, and you just put your mouth around it and do a short, sharp blow, right. and it'll give you a, a reading, which right. tells you how much um, oxygen your lungs expirate, um, oh. and then from there. We take that because then if we do it at the start and then we have eight weeks of physical activity and then we take it at the end, it all shows the progress for mm. that. And it hopefully it serves an encouragement to say, actually, this, this stuff is working. And so commissioners really like it because you've got some data to say, look, we can see BMIs reduced. We can see their blood pressure stabilised. We can see that the lung capacity is increased. It's good, that. Uh, yeah, it is good. And for me, for... It's got to be results, hasn't it? Results yeah, yeah, basis. definitely. Yeah, and for people with... Learning impairments, especially, or disabled people generally, they have real issues accessing mainstream health checks for the GP because of physical, you know, buildings just aren't right. It's not a ramp in place. Or with people with learning impairments, the um, data or their readings are usually um, told to the carer or support staff, but they're not actually shared with the person with a learning impairment. So for them, it's there's no they're not taking ownership of that. They're, they're, it's completely out of their hands. They don't know what the weight is, whether it's a healthy weight. It's not communicated a lot of the time in a way that they understand. And it's it, it goes, <laughs> it's a lot deeper around, for the last, it's only been the last 50 years, 60 years. Disabled people before that were in massive institutions in the middle of the countryside. Um, so this, And it was a very much treatment um, type culture. So people had a learning disability and they would try to cure it. People had autism, they tried to cure it. Um, so there's sort of an expectation that, and it's ingrained, it's not voice, but it's ingrained that disabled people will just deteriorate and will just be unhealthy. 
So that's where this type of work where we're saying actually there's no there's no correlation between someone being blind and having a heightened or a, a lowered metabolism. So why are they more likely to gain weight? People think it's sort of innate that blind people are people with learning impairments are more likely to get depression. The two aren't inclusive if you like. You don't have a learning disability isn't linked to depression. It's just that this person doesn't have the opportunities to be to lead a healthy lifestyle, so they don't have access to physical activity provision. They don't. It's not communicated to them in a way that they understand often how to um, look after the diet and all type of things. So that's that's the type of thing that we're trying to change. Have you got any stories? Stories of just give me some stories. Yeah, yeah so of one of the. The first people I ever engaged with was um, it, it was from it was from the Salford pilot and he was registered blind. Um, he was depressed. He got referred off his GP, and he was just in a bad place when we first met him. But he said he he really wanted to get into the gym and he particularly interested in running. Um, he we so we set up a program, eight twelve week program. At first, it was just getting him used to using his cane about on his street. Um, he didn't really like using his cane, so we got him used to using his cane, just practising it. Uh, he was a very independent guy, but just little things that we might be able to support him around. So we supported him to um, sort of identify a route to the gym. So what we try and do is always build up people so that they're independent afterwards. So after the eight weeks, it's not like, where's Empower You gone? We're on our own now. It's that we've given him all the tools that they need to access whatever activity it might be. So supporting him to access the, the gym through a guided route, um, tried to build him up, slowly weaned ourselves off so that he was accessing that route independently by the end of it. Um, then once he was in the gym, he was just doing a standard routine, bits on the treadmill, um, some sort of free weight-based activity. And then... How does that work um, with someone being blind on the treadmill? How does it... You're on it, that sense of balance, knowing that the track yeah, yeah, you've yeah. been on before yeah. and you've got that certain area. Yeah. How do you actually educate someone to actually yeah. well, I mean, even start running on a treadmill? Yeah, I mean, you've got to use, so we've got five senses and they always teach in the workshop, but we've become quite reliant on only a few because we can see mm. or we can hear for the deaf community might be. So sort of make people who don't have different impairments just become reliant on um, certain senses. But we've got five that we can use. So um, when we're working with someone who's blind, it's more around touch. So if people are comfortable, I always say, right, just just feel my shoulders, feel sort of um, where my chins are, just get a feel for my stance and my technique. Once they've got that off, they get a real picture for it. And then we can correct it as we're going through. If they're comfortable being touched, I'll say, oh, you know, you need to move your left a bit. In, you need to move your leg a bit more in. You and need we to know, a bit I just straight. took it for granted. But then when you're saying it, and then I'm thinking to myself, how does that work on a treadmill? Yeah. And it's just because I take my eyes for granted. Like, if it did shut my eyes, would my other senses kick in for me to know that where that treadmill, because it's literally only that much, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. One false move and you yeah. like off. I just wondered how you educate people to actually, so we could start running again. Yeah, I mean, it would, you'd be surprised what people will pick up. It's yeah. not, um, I've never come across a client who, who's just unable to do some mm. kind of activity. Um, so when he, when he was on the treadmill, he held onto the handlebars at first, got his bearings, and over time it just became an arm to him. You just become more spatially aware. Um, he, he, so did he start running? Yeah, he was running, yeah. From nothing. So from, from, from nothing. From that, yeah. And now, uh, this is why it's my favourite story, because he's just signed up to three marathons next year. So this was my first client. So he, this was like three, four years ago now. He's done loads of marathons, half marathons. He just signed up to three uh, marathons next year, Manchester, London. 
Um, and it's completely just changed. It's just like, I'm not, I can't say it's all down to him. Power U was a really independent guy anyway. Um, But I just think it was that initial support that got him onto the track of running, started meeting new people. um, And he's just, yeah, he's just a lot happier from it. So that that was a massive change. There's other changes where it's been, people have just been sat in the house, especially people with learning impairments, watching Bad Girls or the Bill on repeat or something like that. Um, And then we've found them. It's anybody, no matter if you're, disability or not you're going to get depression from yeah yeah that's what i mean it's people that's that's where the thing is so it's not like people with learning firms or any condition are more likely to um get depression or be overweight or whatever it's the physiological difference doesn't really have that great of an impact it's the environment if you put anyone in an environment where it's really lacking in any type of stimulation like you know mental stimulation physical stimulation then they are going to deteriorate you could do that to a non-disabled person. We see it, but it's with a non-disabled person, it's sort of, you know, let's get you back on track. Let's get you exercising. Let's look at your nutrition yeah. because we think that that person can improve. Yeah. Whereas sometimes the assumption with people with learning impairments is that it's just the expectation that they are going to deteriorate because they've got a disability. And it's it's not the case. There's no link there. There's no evidence to say that. That was what a lot of my research in uni was about. Um, is there any link between it? And it's not. It's the environment. that, And those are all things that we can change. Um, we can create more stimulating environments. We can change. We can make physical activity more accessible. Um, so that's that's what the programs. So give, about. give us give us another story. Another story. Um, girl with Down syndrome. <laughs> Again, she, she she was a person I was referring to um, who was just sitting in watching EastEnders, watching the Bill on repeat with her mum, and um, she got referred to us because she was having quite a lot of knee pain. She put on quite a lot of weight, um, which isn't uncommon for people with Down syndrome because they have thyroid issues. Um, but it doesn't mean that they can't lose weight. It's not just expected. Um, so she got referred to us and she really liked dance. She was into the gym and she wanted to make friends. Those were, she just wanted to try new things, make friends. So we um, found a gym group. Or we, we started off on the gym independently uh, and then integrated into a group um, who just happened to have um, learning impairments <clears throat> because that's who she was sort of interacting with in the gym. We could have done it in the mainstream session. It wouldn't have made any answer. It was her choice. Um, and then we supported her to identify a dance session, um, which she's still going to. So that, that's three years on now. She's uh, you know, out in the community. She's made friends. She's got relationships now outside of a family network. So, yeah. Really, those deal, are, yeah, yeah. That, that's what. when Because a lot of my work now is... Do you ever hard. just sit down and just think about... Uh, not until he's had the conversations. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> no. It's weird, isn't it? Because like, I've got a, a thing upstairs on my wall and it says, look, you know, um, life moves pretty pretty fast if you don't stop around and look and look yeah. around once in a while you're going to miss it yeah, yeah. it's oh, moments true. like this yeah, you kind definitely. of think right have a look have a listen to, you know have a think about the people that you've helped and stuff yeah. and it's just like yeah. it's next level that yeah well, it, it does it, it, and that, that what would these people do if they if they had that chance yeah what, what would have happened to them yeah well that's you don't know i mean if you look at the for people with learned impairments and autism like the, the there's they died 15 to 20 years earlier than yeah. people without learning impairments and autism and again there's no physiological thing around that there's no yeah there's no evidence to say that that's because of the impairment it's yeah. a lot of the stuff is some of it's hospital provision and not being that accessible but a lot of it is they've not got the opportunities in the mainstream to be healthy or active or look after the lifestyle um, and that's why they're dying and it's very easy to just link the two together and say oh People learning impairments or autism just die 15 to 20 years earlier. When you start questioning it and start looking into it, it's because they've not got the environment which will support them to lead a healthy, long life. 
Um, and it's not saying that things haven't improved because the the life chances are the life expectancy for people with Down syndrome have improved massively because of some medical intervention. Um, but there's still loads of work to be done to reduce that gap. That only came out in 2017, 15 to 20 years earlier. Um, like I say, it's it's because the opportunities aren't there in the, in the mainstream environment. And you're just making them. <clears throat> yeah, just creating them. Yeah, yeah, trying to. Mad that, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. It's just the, the way you're thinking. Like you're a bit of a disruptor in the in the. In yeah, the, no, I, that, that's I hope. I'd, and obviously, like you know, against that, you've got all this red tape and like Ben, you're only a young lad. It's just like, what do you know? Yeah, do you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, I think they. I don't know, it's given me a unique insight because no one goes into it thinking like, but I think working and looking at the evidence and questioning it is it's sort of given me a bit of a, things don't have to be like this. And it's not just for, uh, it's like when I run the workshops and we talk about this, there's something within the equality at that all businesses are expected to make reasonable adjustments for disabled people. Now there's no policing behind it. And when I go to providers sometimes and I'll say, look, you, you need to be making adjustments for these people, whether it's, <clears throat> a, an exercise program in audio for someone who's blind or whether it's an easy read um, version of a program during gardening whatever it might be and sometimes not often but providers will say oh you know how, how are we supposed to do that we've not got the funding it's too expensive we can't please everyone those type of things and it's understandable for some organisations yeah. but we only apply reasonable adjustments to disabled people for now but if we go back to like 1915 I always use the example of there was no women's toilets yeah, the women's toilets were just not a thing because women were supposed to be at home. It massively excluded them from the communities. Um, it was known as the urinary leash. <clears throat> so people were only allowed to access the communities if there was women as long as the bladder would allow. And in 1915, women's toilets were introduced. And that was the reasonable adjustment of its time. So we'll make them for some groups, and we have done throughout history, but now we're sort of dragging our feet in terms of disabled people. And I think when you look at, we've disabled, if you like, 50% of the population in the past because we've limited their opportunities to access something which other people can. And it's just sort of taking, when you start talking in those terms, because, you know, it, it does trigger a lot of people off in the room who are female, like, actually, yeah, we should be doing this because it's been done for other groups in the past. Um, those type of things are, are, are sort of quite powerful. So it's, it is disruptive and it's just, it's giving people, a, hopefully, a new way of thinking about people with uh, different impairments. Like it's just and that's everything in it perspective. Yeah, Changing yeah, people's perspectives yeah, on, yeah, on yeah. what's going on and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. A lot of people come out of my workshop sometimes and I think they probably think, What what's he just been what what's he just been talking about? But hopefully and it's showing through like the um, quieted sessions that people are starting to think a bit differently. Starting to think about not um what we perceive the person not to be able to do, but what barriers what how are we disabling these these people so that it's just changing the the language slightly where's your mum now <laughs> my mum she passed away three years ago oh, i'm sorry mate oh no problem i, I don't you know think what? My mom, this before my mum is know. a pivotal part of my story but it always gets me that you have to talk about because i know the next question is oh somewhere along the line it's going to be how's your mum or it, know, people say is she proud and then they have to tell people that she's passed away and then I just feel so sorry for the person who's asked her because <laughs> I just see their heart she'd be proud as fuck though <laughs> wouldn't know, she yeah, of yeah. what you created you to, like. she was a social worker as well my mum so it was right up her street she was, was offered um, you know giving people the support they need and stuff like that so yeah she would she would have been happy with how it's gone so what do you do to <clears throat> look after yourself then well, you've got all this going on and stuff like that. How, yeah. how do you look after yourself to make sure that you're 
you know, fully functioning. Yeah. That's a lot to take on all that. Yeah, no, it, and it, like you were saying before this, it does get overwhelming sometimes. Is, yeah. Um, oh my, like, not recently, I've, I've started slowing down a bit. I don't know why, I think it's just a darker night sort of thing. It's having yeah, a bit yeah, of an yeah. effect on me, but um, it, I was working like, getting up at six, with on my laptop for half seven. I, I'd work through till about four, go to the gym for two hours, and then I'd be on it till about 11, just working like that. And I'd, I think that's just, I might operate best for for short periods of time like that. I do. Yeah. I'm quite productive, but after a bit like now, I'm feeling it because I've been yeah. doing that since about January, February, just on it all the time. And now it's got to end of October, um, early November, and it's just been like dropping. I've just felt myself dropping a bit. So it's been later starts, um, still getting the working, but not as intense. So I just suppose it's for me about being conscious of that's how I operate. It might not be. And the other thing that I've um, trying to do is just focus on one thing at a time because yeah. there's loads of things that I, that you sort of have to juggle. Because at the minute I'm I'm doing the doing, um, as well as trying to get new working and stuff like that. I've just took my first um, lifestyle coach on in Trafford, so that's alleviated a bit of, a bit of time, um, which I'm really grateful for. And she's really good. Um, so I just suppose, and and the gym is a big one for me. I could have a really hectic day. And then I go to the gym for two hours and I just come out feeling like a new man and I'm ready two to go hours. again. Well, yeah, yeah, not not quite. I'll say I'll give myself that time. Right. So I'll have like um, and I was warm up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I try and keep me short as possible. But lately, I've just been seeming to like take a bit longer on the on the bench. It tends to be sort of free weights and then I go for a run on on a Wednesday or a Saturday. Um, and it just feels like even if I'm just being slow in the gym. It just feels like a nice time just to be away from the yeah, laptop yeah. and away from doing anything. So is that your kind of, of meditation, mindfulness? Yeah, bit yeah, that you would say, yeah. Like yeah. switch off, yeah. like, so you can switch back on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my phone's, you know, on flight mode, don't look at me emails, and it's just it's just a bit of nice time. And like you say, the endorphins are released, and it, it, you just feel like, you feel alive again after it. So so talk to me about the workshops that you do then and, and what's involved in the workshops. Yeah. So yeah. what do you do? Do you, do, you, do you go into businesses? Do you go into, you know, where do you put them on and that kind of thing? Yeah, so originally it was it was targeted at gyms and leisure um, and it's really diversified. To, so we've done ones with the infrastructure team in Salford looking at accessible street design. Um, we've looked at parks and green spaces with a, with a team in Salford to look at how they can support active play by disabled children on the parks and green spaces by working more accessibly. Um, and the, the workshops for me, so it's a three hour workshop. We, the agency who've bought them in are supposed to have an idea in mind around um, what issues they're coming up against when trying to engage with disabled people. So we've had some in the past around communication and marketing. We've had some around the actual activities, what people are putting on. We've had, um, One's around specific designs. So in Salford, looking at a, a strip of um, street called Chapel Street East yeah. and just focusing specifically on that. So the start of the workshop doesn't change. I come in, I, I rationalise um, why it's important to engage disabled people. We look at the reasonable adjustment stuff, what we're obliged to do under the Equality Act. We look at the um, spending power of disabled people. So within the UK, what's the spending power of disabled people, Tim? And any guess? No. Can you hazard one? I don't got a clue. I wouldn't have a clue, yeah. mate. Two hundred and forty-nine billion per year. Disabled people—that's their spending power just in the UK. So billion. So it's presenting rather than looking at oh, this is just something we've got to do for disabled people. If you're a business and you're not looking to tap into that market, then it's you know it's not. It, it doesn't make 
business sense. So it's it's providing people with a different. I'm not just going going to go in and go. Oh, you've got to do this because it's nice for disabled people. We look at different ways to try and entice agencies to money, work with. It? It? Yeah, it's a lot of money. It's a massive market, and disabled people want to spend it. I walk in houses sometimes, and people have got you know big shag pile carpets and massive TVs, and they've got they're getting new ones every year. And after the, the second or third year, I say, why do you keep getting your house redecorated? And it's because if you know they're on they're on um, high income in terms of benefits, they've not got a lot of opportunity to spend the benefits on things because they're not, there's not inclusive activities, they're not accessible. So, and after a certain period, they've got to get rid of the money, otherwise it's taken off them. So they're splashing out on this. And if the opportunities were there in the mainstream, that's what people would be accessing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it makes sense. So we, we provide a bit of a rationale for it. And then we look at um, different ways society tends to perceive disabled people. Again, trying to do that, shift it. My main outcome for the, the workshop is to evoke new ways of thinking. That, that is my bit. The second bit, which is the most important bit, is I invite uh, people in with experience of different impairments who I've met along the way. So the client who was talking about before, who uh, is blind, who's into running, he comes into the workshop. We have someone, we have like a core group, someone with cerebral palsy, someone with autism, someone um, who's an amputee. But depending on the workshop, we can pull different people in depending on what they want. So for the Parkinson Green Spaces one, because it was younger people, I invited younger people in. And that aspect of the workshop, the agency can sit down and say, okay, here's our current offer. What barriers are we putting up against you? And what adjustments can we make to do that? So loads of good stuff's come really out. That's where the quieter times have come up against. Yeah. Uh, and... The other thing for me as well as that, because disabled people have got an expertise in their impairments, so yeah. they'll, make, they'll be making adjustments to their personal life, what can be a real asset to mainstream providers if, that, if they've got a platform to share that information. So once it's been shared, they will draw up an action plan around what they're going to do um, differently within their organisation, and I'll follow them up to make sure they're doing it. So that's where the quieter times have come out of with Salford Health Improvement Team, the Parks and Green Spaces team in Salford, uh, I've, I've drew up some recommendations that they're going to include in um, hopefully Salford's locality plan going forward so that that's the standard for parks and green spaces so all accessible equipment looking at the um, texture of the floor for wheelchair users all, all sorts of recommendations um, so they're taking ownership of that yeah and like Chapel Street East they're looking at how they can I mean it's quite hard because you, you've got to if you're trying to create something that's really inclusive some of the adjustments you'll make for different impairments conflict yeah. so for me i've got night blindness so make the streets brighter but yeah. for someone with autism who's yeah. hypersensitive then that doesn't work for him so we've got to look at how can we support both groups or other groups because nature's involved drivers might not like bright lights um so there's loads of stuff that you know you've got to iron out along the way but even if it's just small wins for now even if it's just getting disabled people on the radar of mainstream yeah. um, agencies and it's not like, oh, that's not our thing, we're not specialists. Because I think there's a tendency just to say that disabled people need to access specialist things. And I don't think it's the, mm. it's not really the case. I think some people are scared of not being PC and actually upsetting. You know yeah. what I mean? They don't want to get involved with it because it's like they don't know what they can say and what they can do without actually... Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think there's a bit of that. I, I think it goes back to that institutionalisation again, yeah. um, what I mentioned earlier on, in that it's it's sort of innate within us to... There's some fear with people, with, especially learning, learning impairments. Like, I've, I've gone to 
um, providers and they've said what we've got to make sure first is that they don't attack our current customers yeah <laughs> i've said where's this where's this research come from about people learning purpose attacking people and um they said how do we deal with that and i said you ban them the same way you would anyone else so there is that fear there and when you look at the reason that disabled people were put in institutions it was because they weren't seen as able to contribute to mainstream society. They were seen as a drain. And there was a real fear that of, of contagion, of catching a learning impairment, of catching autism, or that he's going to be attacked. Um, or blindness, you know, deaf, whatever it might be, any, any type of impairment, is, there was that fear there. Um, so there was, there was placed in massive institutions away from the community. So I still think, even though we've integrated disabled people into mainstream communities, which is great, there's still a bit of that within people because that's all we've known up to now. If, if disabled people within the mainstream is yeah. quite new, and it's not just specific to disabled people. Again, if we look at some assumptions we've made in the past about people from certain ethnic groups and how they're slowly dying out, not, not fuller, but they've been there in the past where we've made assumptions that certain ethnic groups might um, have um, certain traits of the personality or certain, or, or it might be down to gender. Um, we've assumed that uh, women have been incapable of having, of working in the past. They've not been able to contribute. Um, so we've done it to other groups all the way through history. It's just that now it's becoming more apparent around disabled people. Or is it for me? It's becoming more apparent around disabled people. I think that the thing what's not working in disabled people's favor is I don't think any other group to, to the same extent has been medicalized in the same way. So they've not been, we can treat you, we can cure you. I don't think any other groups had that. I think people from the sort of LGBTQ community have to some extent because they was injected with uh, hormones and stuff to try, to try and correct um, what was perceived as something wrong with that person. Um, and the other thing is the benefit system. So to apart from sort of working class people, there's no other group who are just given benefits for the, you know, because they've got some kind of impairment. Yeah. So, and that keeps a lot of people quiet. So, for example, just in the physical activity sector, 55% of disabled people say that they'd be more active if they wasn't scared of the benefits being sanctioned. So it sort of contradicts yeah. some of the things that you're trying to do. And if people are experiencing real inequalities, like they can't access transport systems. Only 7% of the housing in the UK is accessible for disabled people. Um, people dying 15 to 20 years earlier. People are experiencing these massive inequalities, but are too scared to say anything because they're scared of having a benefit sanctioned. So, and benefits and a benefit. So if you look at the cost of living for disabled people, it's 583 pound extra per month because of the addition they've got to spend. Yeah. So it's not actually a benefit. What benefits were originally introduced for was reasonable adjustment money. So that thing around the Equality Act. So as the government, we are not best placed to say what changes you need in your life. So here's some money to enable you to do that. Over time, that's been lost. And now we call it a benefit. So it's perceived as something we just do, something nice. When it, in fact, it's the government not taking ownership of the changes that they should be making to the mainstream. So if they said next year, uh, right, what we're going to do is we're going to scrape the benefits back by 10%, but we're going to make sure every single part of the transportation system in the UK is accessible. So good ramp systems, auditory technology, visual technology, we're gonna have easy read versions of our maps for people with learning impairments, then that's fine. Scrape the benefits away because you're making that change and you're enabling people to access it, but you can't until they've got, so, but in that way it can't be perceived as a benefit because you're, you're making the adjustment and that's just what disabled people are doing now. How do you do that? How do I? Do that. 
what you just said. How do you do that and make the government change? Because that must be on your radar to actually... Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing at the minute. I'm sort of being dragged in all... Because physical activity is sort of my bread and butter. But it, it but does no, feel like... It's got to be that. It's got to be It's a bit... There's loads of things that. that I like to do. It's got to be yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Nah, it's it's got to be broader than It's just got to be exposing disabled people in a different way to how they're currently perceived. That's but what why, I see the role Why... You could do that on a scale by setting up your own YouTube channel. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, I have, and actually, yeah, yeah. Yeah. you know, talking like you're talking now yeah. and just doing like little sections of what you. Because no, I didn't know that. You just yeah. educated me, yeah. and all all it is is just knowledge. Yeah. Changing people's perspectives on I thought like this, and now I think like this, and I'm just like I've just my eyes have just been open yeah. from you no, saying that. Well, yeah. that's what I mean. Yeah. But like you need to you need you need to do. Yeah, that, no, I no, feel. no. Yeah, and I was getting into a habit of trying to like I released the video. It got not loads of views, but it, it's quite well received on Twitter and stuff around what does disabled actually mean. Yeah, yeah, and I'd yeah. like to do more of those things. And it, at the minute, it's just time. It's capacity. It's because uh, I'm working them hours. But I, I know what you're going to say, just sl- yeah, a, no, a no, lot of no, time no, to just, videos. It's just like, you're maybe not do, doing your time management very well. Yeah, yeah I know, I know. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, getting yeah. up to what's it, it's like you're probably yeah. guessing when you're going to be doing stuff. And yeah. You're probably yeah. like me where I need sections where I've got like yeah. an hour and a half where I need to work on something and then have a break an hour and a half. Yeah. Work. You know what I mean? So maybe yeah. it's just literally, you know, just kind of going, right, okay, and this time in the day, I'm just going to do a video every day. Yeah. It's getting more comfortable in front of the camera as well because it takes me like, oh, yeah, a, it's awful. it takes me about a month it's awful. to prepare this script. I'm trying to remember it all and I'm thinking that do not look natural. <laughs> I know, but that's what I mean. You've got to forget about all that yeah. and just, just be yourself and yeah. just kind of talk the way you're, you're talking now mate because yeah. a lot of people will resonate with you yeah. you know what I mean because you're really knowledgeable on this subject yeah. aren't you and you're around people you know yeah. who need your help and stuff mate. Yeah, yeah yeah but yeah. you've got to do it you've got you've got to I'm not yeah. to say you've got to do more like but I think by changing the government mm. and changing the way the system is is what you've got yeah, to yeah do. No, definitely yeah yeah. God knows how you do that. Yeah. Right, I know. It's a it's a big and there's no sort of I think it's, campa- it's campaigning. It there's campaigning sides of it, but then there's the the, the, the softer stuff what I'm doing at you like if you like at the minute is trying to change those mainstream systems. Yeah. It's on a smaller scale than the government, but like some of the stuff we're doing with the council at the minute where they yeah. they actually, you know, we need to make streets more accessible. That they wouldn't have been thought of a few years ago because yeah. Like I say, with the institutions, a lot of the policies date back to that time, so there was no need to make streets more yeah. accessible because disabled people were all yeah. in, in the middle of the countryside. So why did we need to make sure there was um, wider pavements for wheelchair users? Or why did we need to reduce the amount of posts for, but we've not caught up with what we've implemented? That makes sense. A lot of the policies still date back to, to that time. But because of the benefit system, it stops people standing up and shouting about it. So if if you think about... I, I can't think, and I this is you know this is my bag. This is a lot of that. There's no one that comes to my mind in the same way that they do for other groups. So yeah, you can think of mainstream big campaigners for people from the black community, LGBTQ community, women campaigners. You can't really think of big one for um, they call it disability rights, but I won't call it that. sort of rights for disabled people. You can't really think of a named no. person. So there's no. I don't know, there's just not been that element of campaigning there. And I think the while benefits or reasonable adjustments money's been good for some people, it has restrained them in terms of having that voice. Can um, you be that voice? I'm trying to do a bit, trying to do a bit, yeah. You know you've thought <laughs> about would, this like, already, yeah, you've got yeah, to yeah, do it, yeah. I know, I know, You've got I know. everything, you've got every 
ability to do that, mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, definitely. A it's not. It's not a lack of. It's percent. not a lack of belief in it. It's just like I say. It's it's allocating that time to just concentrate on all type of things. Yeah. Um. So yeah, that is a, that is a long term plan. Bigger than that one. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but fucking hell, imagine if you did that. Yeah. That no, it's sick, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. And that's where that's what sort of because. Um, I don't like when people say if you love your job, you never do a day's yeah. work in your life, sort of thing. And you're not the same. I, yeah, I love yeah, what yeah. I do. If it's hard, I, it's hard I, working I it. Do, I will do this for free. Yeah, yeah. But it's right. hard. It's hard yeah, working yeah, yeah. it. It's hard. Some days you've got to, you're dragging yourself up, and it's hard. Horrible to, but, place. Yeah. yeah. So you times. do need new things to stimulate yeah, you a bit yeah. more, even when you're doing something that you love. And this feels like if I had the platform, because yeah. videos are all the go now. Yeah. And it is changing, like. Um, you know, in terms of how younger people are getting the voice out there. Mm. Um, so I do think there's a, there's a massive opportunity for it, and there's no one really doing it. Um, so Now's the time, yeah. mate, uh, doing videos and stuff like that for yeah. you. A million percent. Yeah. So if anybody um, is listening, where could they find you, right, and they want to get involved in this? How can they get hold of you? So how, where can they follow you? Bit, so the... Twitter is sort of something that I update uh, most often. So that's Ben Andrews, B-E. And then if you want to follow the more project-based stuff, it's EmpowerU underscore UP. Um, it's the same on Instagram, same on Facebook. Um, I'm based in Salford, so if anyone wants to chat about any of the work that I do, then more than happy, drop me an email. And I'll share it. I don't know if you can put... Can you put, include it anywhere when you put yeah, out the podcast? So. You tell me what you want, yeah. and it's on there. Mate. Yeah. So. Right, I just... I need you to be doing more videos. Yeah, yeah. Because no, I remember that video you put on. Yeah. And yeah. it's like... It, it was it. You just yeah. need to do... You need to do more of it, mate, yeah, and share this knowledge because nobody's got a clue yeah. and everybody's kind of scared of it and people don't know how to react to the cat and it's just like we need to stop all that yeah but yeah. it's you that's got to do it you've got yeah. to be that voice it's as scary as it's <laughs> <laughs> i'd love to love to if, i was actually if, if i got an angel investor tomorrow who said right then we really like you we like the work that you're doing that's why you're on the podcast mate there'd be but, somebody listening know, and you want to do that mate yeah. that's what you need yeah. don't you yeah 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 and it'll, yeah. it'll come that yeah you just got to keep showing up every day haven't you keep yeah. doing yeah. what you're you know doing what you're doing and helping people out because like you said that this brand's come right back to your mum and it's about looking after yeah, people definitely. at the end yeah. of the day yeah. and it's about kindness it's about truth how can it go wrong can't really. Can't, can it? Because no. it's built on some fucking massive integrity. Yeah. And that's yeah. what it's all about. Uh, mate, thank you so much for coming oh, nice on. One, right, and let's just fucking spread the message. <laughs> nice one, Anybody mate. who's listening, invest in fucking Ben. <laughs> Fuckers. We'll get it done. Thanks, mate. Nice one,